Praise the Lord. I want to encourage you tonight to play hard in what I'm about to ask you to do. I'd like you to think for just a moment. Most of you are sitting next to at least one person. I'd like you to think for just a moment about the individual, not God, about the individual who absolutely knows you the best. I want you to think about that individual, living or dead. The person who knows you or knew you the very best. No one else knew you better than that person. Do you have someone in mind? Would you turn to one person and tell them about that person? Would you turn to someone to your left or right and just tell them about that person? We're just, hey, we're just family, home folk tonight. Turn to somebody and tell them about that person. Not about you. Tell them about that person. Go ahead. I'm thinking maybe I should have qualified that further. Someone other than your spouse. You know, we all have somebody like that. We should. Uh, if you don't, I'm going to tell you about someone who does know you like that. But, but we also should have someone like that. I, I think over the course of my life, there's, there's been precious few people that I think I have experienced that kind of intimacy with. Uh, I've shared with you before about my father in the Lord, uh, Bob Tremaine, and he was a supervisor when I was with the Home Mission Board, but he became much more than that to me and to our family. And years after we worked together, uh, before he passed away, he could call me on the phone, and I would answer it, and I would hear a deep, gravelly voice on the other end of the line, and he would say, Don. And, and as soon as he spoke my name, I knew exactly who it was. You have people like that? As soon as they, they speak to you, you know who it is. And, and with that came almost a flood, in my case, of reminders and memory of all the interactions that he and I had had, the things that we had seen God do when we had worked together, and the things that I had gotten to learn about him and the things he learned about me. And that, that intimacy all came through when he just said, Don, Tonight, we're continuing our study of how to recognize God's voice, and we're going deeper. We're taking some basic truths that God's Word contains in John chapter 10, and we're taking it deeper. And so we've looked at two ways to recognize God's voice. Tonight, we're going to look at a third. I want to read again the passage of Scripture. It's been a couple of weeks. I want to read again the passage of Scripture that we are using for our study. And it's John chapter 10 and verses, verse 1. John chapter 10 and verse 1. Jesus is speaking. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door. Now, we described that before, but shepherds would create these makeshift enclosures at night, and they could put the sheep in those enclosures, and they were you know, piles of sticks, they would put them against the base of a cliff, they'd, they'd create a little corral, and they'd leave a little opening, and sometimes the shepherd would just sleep in the opening, so nobody got out. 
But this describes a situation where uh, more than likely shepherds pulled their sheep together into one place. And then the shepherds would come to that opening and call their sheep. So he says, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And then in verse 27, after some other teaching, he says, My sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I love that verse. If you ever want to commit something to memory, you need a place to start. That's a good one. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. We've also said that there are at least four major categories or ways that God speaks to us. He definitely speaks to us through His Word, and He never speaks to us in a way that's contrary to His Word. He speaks to us through the church or through close Christian friends. People who are wise, people who love us, people who care for us. And as we surround ourselves with people like that who pray for us and who, who care for us, God will speak to us through them. He speaks to us through circumstances. As we look at what's happening around us, we can sort of see, is God answering or leading or guiding in this particular direction based on the opportunity or the lack of opportunity? whether the door is open or closed, whether the window is open or closed, or whatever analogy that you want to use. He uses circumstances. If I'm praying about whether he wants me to go somewhere, and I know I need a sum of money, for example, to go, and that money is not provided, well, by circumstances, I can conclude that God does not want me to go. Or, if he provides those resources supernaturally, well, then I have evidence that, in fact, he wants me. I mean, those circumstances, those are the way those things happen. And then he speaks to us directly to our mind, to our heart, in prayer, through our personal communion with him, our personal conversation with him, our interaction with him. And unfortunately, I believe our generation understands less about that form of communication than perhaps our fathers did years ago. And that's what we're speaking about mostly in this series of studies is when God does speak to you in prayer or in the midst of a conversation where you're praying, you're talking to him, and he speaks to you. How do I know it's him? And we've looked at two things already. One, we looked at initiative as a word. Initiative. And um, it says he calls his own sheep. And he makes the first move. The sheep, if you follow the picture that Jesus is using they're in a kind of corral or a pen. And they are absolutely at the mercy of the shepherd to come to the opening of the pen and to say, come. And so they're depending on him to take the initiative. I can't make God speak to me. If God doesn't have anything to say to me, if he doesn't want to say anything to me, I can't force his hand. He takes the initiative. The burden of communication between you and God does not rest on you, it rests on God. And we see that in Scripture over and over again. So he takes the initiative. When we looked at the word initiative, we also talked about how God speaks to us through our thoughts. And uh, we use the analogy of 
Elisha on the run and God speaking to him. And all of these loud, dramatic things took place. Rocks split, there was lightning, there was a storm, there was fire, there were all these different things. And God was not in those things. But God did speak to him in a still, small voice. And when people heard God, they heard him in a way that was recognizable, in a form that they could say, those are words I understand. That's something I comprehend. And you and I may never hear an audible voice, and in fact, I think that's extremely unlikely. But it is very likely that God will speak to you through your thoughts. You say, well, what is that like? Well, I'm not going to reteach that particular study. I encourage you to go back and, and read it, but I'm just saying that, that it is recognizable. In the flow of our thoughts, there are times when God is speaking and we recognize that the flow of thought that's coming through my mind, I did not generate, and that it's coming from someone else, another personality, and it's coming from Him. The New Testament, almost entirely the early Christians in the New Testament understood that God spoke to them this way. That's why they said you have to test, you have to try these impressions, you have, to, you have to go through a process, is this really the Lord or not? And I have to learn to recognize the voice of God. I don't have any trouble when I'm driving down the road and suddenly a flood of immoral thoughts comes through my mind. I don't have any trouble guessing where that came from. I'd say, well, that's not from the Lord. And I wasn't particularly thinking about that. So that's certainly the enemy. You and I don't have any trouble recognizing when the enemy's attacking us in our thought life. But are we as ready to recognize when God is speaking to us? Initiative. Clarity. God makes himself understood. That was the second thing we studied. And we spent most of our time two weeks ago, if God speaks clearly, why don't I hear him? Why don't I understand him? And we looked at some particular reasons why I might be hindered in my ability to hear God or recognize His voice. One of them is not being born again. If I've never been born again, if my spirit is cut off from God because of sin in my life, if I've never had that new birth and the Holy Spirit does not live in me, and I do not have the capacity to hear God. And so I need to be born again. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see or comprehend or get the kingdom of God, the rule of God in time and space. I'm not going to see it. I'm not going to understand it. I'm not going to comprehend it. I need to be born again. Another hindrance was not being obedient. Disobedience is a hindrance. If God directed you at some point in your past, clearly, without any doubt in your mind, to do something, and you said no, you cannot expect that He's going to continue to give you further guidance and direction. And, um, and we studied that. And then not being able to focus on what God is saying. Just being so distracted by the noise that we constantly surround ourselves with. Never being still. Never being quiet long enough to reflect and to think about my situation before the Lord. Well, the third word and where we want to focus tonight is on the word intimacy. Intimacy. This is where we want to focus tonight. And you know, I... In uh, praying through this, this has been interesting. This, this uh, may be an actually an illustration of what we're trying to talk about tonight. I was praying over this, and um, you know, they teach you, uh, my Bible professor taught us years ago in, in preaching class. You know, they have classes for that. And I have some great stories I could tell. See me after the 
service, I'll tell you those, what happened in preaching class. But he used to say, whenever you get ready to preach, he said, don't be one of those guys who gets up there and says, well, you know, what I have to say is not very good. He said, they'll figure that out for themselves. <laughs> he said, don't ever apologize for what you're about to say. So I'm not apologizing, but, um, but the Lord spoke very clearly about some things tonight, and I'm simply going to share these things and then try to be faithful to, uh, to his leading. The phrase I want you to look at in verse 3 is that he calls his own sheep, here it is, by name. He calls his own sheep by name. In the morning when that shepherd would come, and you had all this uh, commingling of various shepherds' sheep. you got to understand that the shepherd raised those sheep from the time they were born. They were bonded to the shepherd. They had a relationship to the shepherd, and he did name them, and they followed him wherever he went. They were, they were attached to him. Now, in America, we drive cattle, we drive sheep, and so forth, but in the Middle East, they lead the sheep, and, and because of this relationship, and so they would commingle all the sheep, and a shepherd would come in the morning, and he would call the sheep out by name, and, you know, Prancer, Vixen, Donner, I don't know what he named them, <laughs> some Hebrew cute name, you know, uh, Goldilocks, whatever, and he calls them. Now, when he calls Dancer, all the sheep that don't belong to him normally would retreat from his voice. They would back up. They would be afraid. They would be frightened. They would be reactive to his voice. They would not like it. And Dancer would come right on up to the gate and follow him out. And then he would call the next one, George. And everybody not named George and everybody that wasn't one of his sheep, they would back away, but George, he would come walking right on out. And so he called them by name, and this was a this was apparently a picture that the people listening to Jesus would understand. They would, they would get that clearly. So God doesn't come to the gate and say, all right, all of my sheep, follow me. Now, there are times when he speaks to the church as a whole. No doubt in my mind that he speaks through the messages of pastors when they speak to a church. No doubt in my mind he speaks through circumstances that churches encounter. No doubt in my mind that he speaks to the church through wise leaders and individuals who stand up and say, I have something I need to share. Lots of different ways that God speaks to the whole church. But listen, he speaks to us individually. He comes to you and me, and there is this subjective thing called intimacy that accompanies his voice when he calls you, and you know that this one, he knows you. This one, he knows your name. This one, he's come to you as an individual. I jotted down seven things that he knows and that because he knows these things, it's just like that voice on the end of the phone who speaks your name. And with your name, and because they spoke it, comes all kinds of other things that, that wake you up and remind you and create an awareness in you that I'm talking to someone who, who's not just a casual acquaintance, but someone who knows me in depth and who knows the worst about me, who knows the best about me, who loves me anyway. First, he knows and uses your name. He knows and uses your name. 
This is characteristic of how God approaches people in the Scripture when He interacts with them, particularly the first time. One of my favorite examples of that is in Luke 19.5. And when Jesus came to the place, He looked up and saw Him and said to Him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. He had never met the man. It's one of the miracles that Jesus performed, often not noticed. But He comes, there's this little guy in the tree, He says, Zacchaeus, come down from there. First time they had met, he had never met him before. How does he address him? By name. He doesn't say, you short guy in the tree, yo, come, let's go eat. He doesn't do that. Zacchaeus. The first time he spoke to Moses in Exodus 3, what were the first words out of the mouth of God? Moses. The first time he spoke to Samuel in 1 Samuel 3, Samuel didn't even know who it was. He's trying to go to sleep, and he hears a voice. Samuel. He gets up, goes and talks to Eli, the high priest next door. He goes and talks to him. Eli says, it wasn't me. Go back to bed. This happens three times. Finally, Eli figures out what's going on. You know the story. And and now he realizes this isn't a human being. This is God. And it says, God came again and stood before him and said, Samuel. First words out of his mouth were what? His name. And God does that with you and me. He comes and he speaks to us with that kind of awareness of who we are. And he knows you. And he uses your names. Secondly, he knows where you are. He knows where you are. In Psalm 139, verse 7, David writes, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, the place of the dead... Behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. This is both a fact, but the way David asks those questions, as Tim Keller says, it's also a threat. It's a fact, and I can be encouraged, but when I'm not living in a way that pleases the Lord, it's also a threat. Where can I go? Where can I hide? God sees me. He knows where I am, knows where I live, knows your address, knows what's happening to you, not just your physical location, but knows knows your circumstances, knows what you're dealing with, knows what you're experiencing. He knows where you are. Number three, he knows your circumstances. He knows your circumstances. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, In teaching about prayer, Jesus was telling us not to use many words. He says, because your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. It's a great danger when you and I think that God doesn't know what I'm dealing with, isn't aware of what I'm experiencing, and that I, I am somehow abandoned, I'm cut off from Him. All afternoon, as I was thinking about tonight, this one song kept going through my mind over and over again. It's written by John Mark McMillan, and he wrote the song 2002, 2003. He had notes and notes and notes, and it wasn't published until several years ago. But but he was traveling with his music, and a good friend of his, a youth pastor, was speaking in church on a Sunday morning. And he told the students, he said, you know, God, just take my life, he prayed. Just take my life. 
if it would mean that the students, the youth of America, would be set on fire. And that night, that young man was killed in a car accident. And John was absolutely overwhelmed with questions and anger. How could God do this? Here's this guy that loves him with all his heart. How could he let this happen? And he had all of these questions. And very wisely, John Mark McMillan processed it in his journal. He, he prayed through it. He gave thought to it. And then he wrote this song. And tonight, I'd like us to sing it together. I'm just going to stop right here in the sermon. And I'd like us to sing it together. And so if you know the song, please join in. Because these guys would really appreciate it. Because this was last minute for them, okay? All right. Would you stand? He is jealous for me, loves like a Seen kiss, my heart turns violent. 
may be seated. Pray with me. Father, forgive us for the great waste of our lives spent on ourselves, for our selfish wants, desires, the selfish dreams that we hang on to, not possibly believing for a moment that you have something better for us. Even when we experience great loss and in the midst of our confusion, forgive us for the times where we, we question you instead of just trusting you. The greatness of your love. Thank you, Father, for never failing us. Even though you would have every reason to turn your back on us, it's just not who you are. And for that one tonight who needed to be reminded, we pray your Holy Spirit would flood their heart and their mind and grant them the liberty of soul, liberty of spirit that they came here hungry for tonight. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Number four, he knows you because you are important to him. He knows you because you are important to him. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 29, it's really talking about when you and I are afraid. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. And that number changes daily for some of us. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. And so what he's communicating to you is you may be afraid. Someone may be intimidating you. A circumstance may be frightening to you. And he's trying to tell you, look, no matter what's happening to you, don't ever think for a moment that you're not important to the Lord. Don't ever think for a moment that you don't matter to him, that you're insignificant, that your life is unimportant, that it no, has no value, has no meaning, has no significance. That's not true. You are precious to him. Number five, he knows you in person. I put it in quotation marks because that's how we talk about things. He knows you in person. In John 14, verse 16, listen to this carefully. I will pray the Father... And he will give you another helper. Jesus is talking to his disciples just before he's about to be crucified, dead in the ground, rising, and then leaving, ascending physically. He says, he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For He dwells with you. That's what their experience of the Holy Spirit was at that moment. He dwells with you and will be in you. See, this was before Pentecost. This was before the day the church was born. 
He will be in you. Now look at this. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. The same privilege that the disciples had of walking with Jesus every day for three years, Jesus says to them and to everyone who would believe in Him, I'm not going to leave you by yourself. I'm not abandoning you. I'm going to come to you. Now, can you imagine Jesus when He was walking with the disciples, walking around with those men for three years, never saying a word to them? Never having anything to say about what they were doing. Just sort of hanging out, put His arm around them, whatever. Of course not. He was the Lord. He was the Master. He was the leader. And in the same way He comes to His disciples, He comes to you and to me. Number six, He knows the exact moment, and some of you need to hear this, He knows the exact moment when you truly surrender your life to Him. He knows it because He's always watching for it. He's watching for it in your life. There's some of you here tonight, more than likely, that don't know Christ. You don't know Him. You may be very religious. You may be very involved. You may even have a position with some responsibility, but you know in your heart, I don't know Him. I don't know Him. He's never come to me. And there's this moment when a person moves from this life of independence that we talked this morning about to a point where I'm ready to surrender the control of my life. I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. Listen to this. In Luke chapter 15, verse 7, it describes a lost sheep and a shepherd who leaves the 99 to go find the one. And after he finds the one, Jesus helps us understand there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Just one sinner sets off, sets off an explosion in heaven. Just one. Do you think that person, that they don't know his name? Of course they know his name. Why does it set off an explosion? Because they were waiting for this. They were waiting for this. That person's life, their entire life, they've been waiting for this moment when that man, that woman, that boy, that girl would come and say, I surrender. <laughs> I'm repenting. I'm turning. I'm giving everything to him. And then in the next one, he talks about a woman who had this precious coin. She had this string of coins, and it was part of her dowry, and she loses one. She searches for it, and she finds it. And at the end of that second story, he says, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Pre joy in the presence of the angels of God. So here's the angels of God. They're not the ones necessarily rejoicing, although the earlier verse suggested that they did. But this is saying there's joy in the presence of the angels. So here are the angels. I don't know how many there are, but they're all standing there and they're watching somebody else who's getting really excited. Who is that? Who's getting, if the angels are watching somebody else getting really joyful about one sinner who repents, who are they watching? Jesus, God. They're watching Him. He's exploding. <laughs> He's out of His mind with excitement. And so all your life, if you're this person tonight that I'm describing, who's trying to live your life without God, you're trying to do it your own thing, you're not letting God do His thing in you, you've never surrendered to Him like that. If you're that person, you need to know that all heaven is waiting with bated breath tonight 
for you to surrender to him. And he knows that very moment. And that moment is precious to him. And if this is that moment, we're ready to set heaven afire tonight. We're ready to receive you. We're ready to let you share that. And then finally, number seven, when that happens, he knows you forever. He knows you forever. In Isaiah 49, verse 15, can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? When we've seen in our culture, even that mother-child bond can be broken. And so he says it here, surely they may forget. Even in that most intimate of connections in human life, they may forget. Yet, I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Now, I'm not going to ask here tonight who has a tattoo. But God has a tattoo. God is, has a mark in his hands. The only one in heaven with a mark like that, the only one with a scar like that is Jesus. And you might walk up to him one day in heaven just hypothetically and say, hey, Jesus, do you know me? And he'll show you his hand and say, how could I forget? How could I forget? Knows you forever. I love this passage, but I copied it so small, I'm not sure I can see it. J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, which is a classic, really hard to read. If you read it late at night, you're going to fall asleep in it like I did. But it's a great book. He says, what matters supremely, therefore, is not in the last analysis the fact that I know God, but the larger fact which underlies it, the fact that he knows me. I am graven on the palms of his hands. I am never out of his mind. All my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. I know him because he first knew me and continues to know me. He knows me as a friend, one who loves me. And there is no moment when his eye is off me or his attention is distracted from me. And no moment, therefore, when his care falters. Do you believe that? Do you know that? If you're a person who struggles to know that God loves you, cares for you, it's going to be very hard for you to recognize his voice because you'll never believe that God would take the time to speak to you, that God would care to have anything to say to you. That's not the truth. There comes a moment in your life where you've got to choose what you're going to believe. Am I going to believe what God's word says to me? Am I going to believe what it says is true about me and how God speaks to me? Or am I going to believe my feelings and emotions and my messed up past and whatever is pressing in on me, pushing me away from God? Tonight, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you do it? It's time. You've waited long enough. You've waited long enough. There'll be pastors standing here at the end of the aisle. We'll take all the time that you need. We'll step out into another room. We'll answer your questions, whatever it takes. But we would love to share with you how a person puts their trust in Christ and how God promises when you trust him like that, surrender to him, how he promises to save you and inhabit you with his spirit and change you from the inside out.
And then brothers and sisters, what has God said to you tonight? How's the love of God flowing in you, from you? Is it becoming more of a reality? So much a reality that now when he speaks to you, you're sensing not just his word, but you're sensing his heart. You're sensing that intimacy that comes when he speaks your name. And when he speaks your name, with it comes this flood of recognition, this this incredible, overwhelming sense that this voice is the voice of someone who knows me, who loves me, and who will forever love me. And if that's not your experience tonight, I just want to encourage you tonight. The initiative depends on Him, but I want you to know that He is ready. When you turn to Him and say, Father, I just want to receive Your love. I want to know Your love. The Apostle Paul thought it was so important That in Ephesians chapter 3, he said, For this reason I bow my knees. For this reason I bow my knees. He prays that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith. He's writing Christians who've already trusted Jesus, already been saved. He says, I pray that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith, that you would know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. Why? Because that's the foundation of ministry. That is life. Do you know him? Will you know him? Will you ask Him, show me, teach me, make me a person that loves because I know your love. Father, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing among us. Thank you for what you're doing in us. Father, we give these moments to you because it's out of our hands, out of our control. We share your word, we listen to your word, but we are dependent on your spirit to come and apply it to our hearts. And would you do that now? Would you, would you move among us, this congregation, each of us here? And we ask it in Jesus' name.